Hey fellow brain pickers, this is episode 111 of the Can I Pick Your Brain show and today I'm picking the brain of Jordan Harbinger, top rated podcast host of the Art of Charm podcast show um, and uh, we, we actually talk about uh, how many times Jordan and I go to the bathroom before we're about to get on a show um, and we get into social skills and how you can overcome your fears, anxieties, uh, low self-esteem. We also talk about lessons that we can learn from Adolf Hitler, of all people. And we discuss how he used the power of persuasion for evil and how we can learn the power of persuasion to impact the world. Please subscribe to my podcast show. It doesn't cost you anything to just hit that subscribe button. But what it does for me is it helps me rank higher on iTunes, which means I get more downloads and it means that I can reach more people. So if you can hit that subscribe button on iTunes, that would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 111 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today has been kidnapped twice and the only reason he's still alive today is because of his ability to talk his way out of and into just about any type of situation. In fact, he's a Wall Street lawyer turned top-rated talk show host. Jordan Harbinger is the owner and co-founder of The Art of Charm, a consulting and coaching company, as well as a top 50 podcast show on iTunes. His show has amassed over 3.8 million downloads per month, and he has interviewed over 700 world-class performers, including Tony Hawk, Shaquille O'Neal, Peter Diamandis, Robert Cialdini, and Gary Vaynerchuk, to name a few. He's been featured in some of the biggest media outlets, such as Forbes, Entrepreneur, Men's Health, NBC, NPR, and the New York Times. Forbes has named him one of the 50 best relationship builders in the world. As always, I prepared a short rap to help introduce him. Here goes. He's the host with the most, but he tries not to boast. Managed to stay out of harm with his art of charm. He'll have your attention in the ball of his palm. Smooth talk, confident walk, reverse engineering the likes of Tony Hawk. He's the master of social skills. No need to pop pills or struggle to pay the bills. Social anxiety kills. If you want to know why people buy, watch your nerves die. Stop listening to lie. Get confidence in your eyes. Stand up and amplify. Then he's your guy. So without further ado, I welcome to you a man fresh as ginger, the one and only Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, welcome to the show and thanks for pick your brain that is awesome i have never no that's that's the second that's only the second rap i've ever had in my life maybe second. the third really? but definitely in the top three. Oh, that's so that's such an honor man coming from you wow <laughs> i don't rap by the way jordan i really don't um, oh you don't no okay because that was that was pretty good for a guy who doesn't rap you know like i <laughs> i was kind of thinking like after this he's gonna be like so you know record people out there in la and i was gonna be like i'll send him I'll send him that clip and we'll see what happens. Oh my God. No, 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 no. I did this purely, purely for an attention seeker, uh, just to get my podcast to be a little bit different to all the others. Because I mean, how many podcast shows have you been on now, Jordan? Oh man, I actually don't know. You know, it's, it's funny you should ask because at first, I earlier this year, I thought, oh man, I must have been on 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. And then I started counting and it was still under a hundred. And then you realize how many shows a hundred or now probably like mm-hmm. 300 actually is because in your mind, it just seems like, wow, I do one of these every day, sometimes two a day. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, wait a minute. That's still, you know, at this point, just shy of, I don't know, 200 at the time or something like that. So I've done it plenty of times, but there's something to be said about just the the way that your mind changes things depending on what mood you're in, mm-hmm. right? Like when yeah. I think about, oh, I'm excited to go on Daniel Geffen's show, <laughs> you think, oh, I, I haven't done that many of these. And then when, you, when you're in the middle of one where you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm hungry or when is this going to end? You think, man, I must have done like 10,000 of these. Maybe I should stop now. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, uh, it's colored by your emotions. That much is certain. Yeah, so I just basically wanted to stand out because I get so many guests who've been on so many that I th- I figured because I hear it I don't know like you're you're in a different category because obviously you're a top rated show and when they're coming on your show they know that they're going on to the top rated show, but with 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 podcast hosts like me, I'm just another show for them and I hear it sometimes in their voice and I thought well if I can snap them out of that in the intro where they go holy crap what one second a rap no one's done that this should be interesting then all of a sudden like the the whole i guess that the mindset changes um and by the way i'm really glad i have you on because this is something i really wanted to ask you i've done now as i said a hundred this is 111 episodes and you would think that i would be cool as a cucumber and confident everything would be fine but I'm still, I still like shake like a leaf beforehand. I take a piss like five times and like, you know, my heart's beating and I'm nervous that I'm going to, you know, screw it up, even though so far, thank God, you know, I haven't screwed it up yet. Well, you don't really know that, right? There could be, <laughs> right. you could be doing something totally <laughs> horrible right yeah, now and true. like not recording and there, there goes your perfect track record. No, yeah. but for, for real, I'll tell you, I, Go now that we've already ventured into the TMI area. Uh-huh. I go to the bathroom so many times before, and often during shows. Really, during? And yeah, oh, and I well, hold it in. Uh, okay, <laughs> look, I got to tell you, I tried that for a while, but then there there have been times where you're talking with somebody on <laughs> Skype, no video, as far right. as you know, right? And you're like, oh well, you know, I really have to go to the bathroom, and it's distracting me. <laughs> But I don't want to stop recording. What's more important? And then you're so uncomfortable that you're just ticking, the, like you're looking <laughs> at the clock, waiting for the clock to time out. So I, I do have, I have a bottle in here, a big one. No, and, stop it. Uh, you know, I have a standing desk. So oh just, you know, God. again, do the math. <laughs> but is... some, some, because sometimes you're just like, okay, my back <laughs> teeth are floating, but this is really interesting. Do I really want to let the fate of this brilliant wisdom die on the vine here. Do I want to let this wisdom die on the vine because I drank a, an extra cup of tea this morning Dude, or I just, forgot to, you know. I, I just came up with a good business idea. We could do a catheter for podcast hosts. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It, actually, <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. Uh, not not that it's my business, but there is something, my, my uh, enterprise, I mean. But mm-hmm. there's something called the Stadium Buddy. Have you heard of this? No. Oh, my goodness, man. I know okay. where you're going with this. Yeah, it's and you can imagine when you're when you're in right. a stadium, you right. go to the bathroom, there's a line, it takes forever. Mm. So if you go to 
uh, if you Google Stadium Buddy, I'm just going to like sort of leave that there. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's called Stadium Pal. I can't remember. But it's mm-hmm. it's something like that where essentially you put your, your uh, bits into a <laughs> plastic bag. The plastic bag has a little spout and cap. There's another bag that essentially is like strapped to your leg, right. I guess. And you just hope that nobody like kicks you in the oh, leg God. or that you bump into somebody or that, you know, you sit down in tight pants. But anyway, it's in and, and the tube goes into that. And then there's a little clip uh-huh. so that you can actually go drain it later. Oh, my Even goodness. at the stadium if you fill it up. So you can just drink as much as you want. But here's what I don't understand. Yeah. How do you for me mentally emotionally i don't know if i could pee in my pants even if right. i had that thing strapped to my leg does right. that make sense like no, i don't know 100%. if i could relax yeah enough to let it go yeah well you know in so. china in china they have um gaming addicts right so there's these teenagers mm. who basically they sit there 24/7 because these are reality games so you can't like if you leave you're leaving in real time and that means you can lose points they actually wear diapers like they wear adult diapers so they can defecate and pee when they need to and they don't miss the i mean it's a real problem it's an epidemic in china right now um, i've heard of this i mean I, yeah. i've heard about this but as with anything asia you kind of have to go is it really that bad or are right. they exaggerating? But there's really a 50-50 chance that it's true when you think about places like China, right? Like, yeah. oh, the pollution's so bad that there's a warning that you can't go outside. And then you're <laughs> like, that's BS. And then you go there and your phone's beeping and it's like, don't leave the house. You know, wear a mask. Right. Old people should stay inside. And you're thinking like, oh, okay, wait, this is true. Right. You well, know, I can't see the sky. I live in Israel and I can't tell you how many people have told me, oh my goodness, but isn't there rockets flying above your head? And I'm like, yes, yes, there, there's rockets right now flying above my head. Uh, come on, seriously, dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah, maybe if you live on a kibbutz in the Golan Heights. Right. It, it happens a few times a year, right? So let me ask you this, because this is really interesting. So the guy, the master of, of social, you know... Um, What's the what do you call it? What is the I don't term even know. For I mean, look, what, I'm, like, I'm, what does that mean? We, I, I'm pretty sure that we've discredited ourselves by talking about peeing <laughs> yes. in catheters yes. for the first bit of the show. I don't think yeah. anybody's going to take anything I say seriously <laughs> from here out. I'm just going to go in with that yeah. assumption. Yeah, I, do, I, I like to think that people listening to this will actually think, oh my god, Jordan Harbinger's a real guy, Daniel Geffen's a real guy, they're not just you know figures in front of mics. Um, so I, I kind of like that we opened up with that. Um, yeah. But practically speaking, so how do you handle that then? Because, I mean, you've had some major guests. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, for crying out loud. I mean, who was your number? Who was the guest that you were really like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I just bagged this guy? Um, Man, there's been a lot. It, it, Shaq was less of a surprise because I've been bugging our mutual friend for it for okay. years so it, it kind of wasn't really, it, it wasn't really like this, oh my God, well, actually it was, I booked a flight to go to LA to do that interview. I mean, that was a big deal, really? but it wasn't like, oh my God, they say, you know, this is actually happening. It was right. kind of like, finally, this is actually happening. I was really happy, but it wasn't a shock. Mm-hmm. If I go to the best of, um, uh, the best of page at theartofcharm.com slash best. We put like a best of. It doesn't mean they're the best episodes, but it nice, does mean, hey, nice these plug the ones. There. Nice plug there, Jordan. You like that? Yeah. That's at the uh, <laughs> HTTP colon slash slash 
theartofcharm.com slash best. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to come but, on uh, your show and drop my uh, links over there, right? Your, your URL, yeah. <laughs> uh, uni- universal resource locator. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think for for me, let me let me see. Who is somebody where I said, like, holy, this is actually going to happen. I yeah. can't believe it. Oh, man. There's a, f- there's a few great people in here. Not, I mean, tons, but I'm trying to go back to kind of early ones where I just thought, like, how on earth do we bag this one? And, you know, ones that come to mind are like... Uh, Sam Harris was an early one that I really liked. Uh, General Stanley McChrystal was really cool. He came on and was really, you know, excited about it and referred a whole bunch of other cool folks. Um, and then I had General Hayden, who used to be the head of the CIA and the NSA. The Tony head Hawk of the CIA. Point. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow! How do you? So what? So so again, let's go back. I guess my question to you really is: so how do you deal with that nerves? Like, how do you deal with the nerves? Because people listening to this, right? The, the reason why they don't take action is because of fear, ultimately. That's the reason why most people don't take action, is they're scared. Like, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that? And you've just, like, literally just gone and interviewed some of the biggest names in the business, and, like, you, you, you admitted that you want to pee your pants. You're, like, nervous. So how do you get through that? Not that, that I want to, that right. I actually do. I just right. catch it before it right. hits my pants. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> The nerves. Well, it's it's interesting. My my wife was in the room when I interviewed Shaq, and she was like, "You're a little nervous," and I was oh, like, "Yeah, man. yeah," you know. And she could tell just because I I don't know. I was I had a water bottle in front of me, and I just like every five seconds I was taking a sip, and then I put the cap back on. Yeah. and I would take the cap off and take it. So I have like little repetitive gestures like that, I suppose, where they come into play here and there, <laughs> and it probably shows up on video, but I I just don't care. <laughs> the other. The other thing that I that I'll do to manage nerves, aside from fidget, which it which works fine. I mean, as a as a radio person, it doesn't really matter. I I don't really worry about it too much because look, after having somebody on like Tony Hawk, and then you have Shaq, and then you got Peter Diamandis, and then mm-hmm. you got Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. You got all these folks on there. Yeah. But then at some point, you're just like, well, you know, neither none of these has been something where the person is on the show and then suddenly I'm getting my photo taken at the grocery store, right? Nothing has been where, all right, if I get this one right, our audience is going to double. Nothing like that ever happens in podcasting. It Mm -hmm. it just just as in, if your local news station had an interview with Shaq, their viewership would go up for a second, but it wouldn't be like, Wow, our local news is so interesting. They have big names on there. I should watch it every day now. It doesn't mm. happen. It builds credibility slowly over time. So you kind of realize that even if Shaq was like, I'm not doing this show, why'd you even fly out to LA? You're an idiot. I hate you and never doing your show, right? It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. I would go out for sushi and I'd be like, that was a weird thing for him to do. And I'd, you know, sort of lament that I spent money on the airfare and then I'd go <laughs> hang out with my friends. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter at all to the business of doing the show. And it is disappointing if you've got an interview scheduled and they don't show up or they can't make it or they're like, hey, they don't want to meet in person. They, their schedule's too crazy. They can do a 15-second phoner from the airport lounge. <laughs> You're like, nah. Yeah. you know. So so I just realized that none of these big breaks, so, so to speak, really are all that big. So it doesn't really matter when they cancel. So then it definitely doesn't really matter if I go on and do the show and they 
give a mediocre performance. It's a mm-hmm. little bit disappointing, but it's not that big of a deal. And I also know that after 10-plus years, if I can't make somebody who's a celebrity or a really interesting or big-name person uh, active, vocal, interested in doing the show, then there's another problem, and it's probably not me. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't worry about it that much because it's rare that I'm going to ever have any issue making an interesting show out of somebody who's a celebrity. And mm-hmm. if I do, it's not going to be like, oh, man, all these plans for my business in future have failed. Right. It's just – and it's a matter of getting that temperance over time. I think for a lot of people, especially when they first start a show or when they're first doing something, they're like – Oh my God, this is the first big name. And I see this online all the time in some yeah. of these podcasting groups and stuff. This is the first big name I'm, I've ever interviewed. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And then you Google <laughs> them, like, a, you know, Amazon best selling author of a book that mm-hmm. was out five years ago. And you're just right. thinking, like, you have nothing to worry about at all. You right. know, this person is just as lucky to be on your show as, as you are on, on to interview them. So relax. So, and I, I can't say that the logical process of thinking about that stops all the nerves. But I can say that when, when it comes down to it, sure, I'm a little bit nervous, try to channel that energy into the show. Maybe I drink a little bit too much water and have to go to the bathroom at the end. And you can't use the bottle if you're in the Mm -hmm. room with somebody else. Right. You know, you shouldn't anyway. (laughs) So maybe I got to grab that stadium pal. So nobody knows, Mm -hmm. but it's really not a big deal. I, I can't think of a single person recently or ever uh, in the last few years anyway, where I've been like, okay, don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. I'm more hoping, okay, I hope their internet connection works, you know, right. especially if it's on Skype. Right. And by the way, you weren't always a smooth talker, right? What were you like growing up? You were quite shy and, and I was. an introvert. Yeah, I was. I was shy and I, I just, I mean, social anxiety kind of sounds like it, but I, I don't want people to think like, oh, this is some sort of weird anxiety issue because i i really think that when people think social anxiety they think oh that's not me because they're they're convinced that people who have social anxiety they like can't function or they just you know they're super weirdos something like that and that's just not really how it works right it's not really like that it's more these other things you'll say hey do you have social anxiety and a person will be like no and then you'll you'll go somewhere and they're like I just don't know what to say to anybody. Oh, I feel like people are staring. Am I underdressed? And you're like, that's social anxiety. It's completely normal, and almost everyone has it, except when we think of social anxiety, we think of people who, like, can't leave their house and they're phobic of, you know, they they see the sun and they run back in, like that show Better Call Saul, where the guy won't go outside without a space blanket on because of electricity. Sounds like an interesting movie. I haven't seen it. It's a a great, it's a show in the States that, uh, you know, whatever, it's TV, you can live without it. But the the idea is that people think it's, it's going to be some traumatic thing. But really, I, I, I was, I was uh, at a dinner last week with a professional athlete who's used to having just millions of people watching him at any given time. And it was his dinner. He was running the dinner. And I sat next to him and, and he goes, I, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. And I said, why? And he goes, I'm just wor- I'm worried that this dinner is not going to go smoothly. Really? And you wow. know, I just don't know what to do. So tell me if I'm doing something weird. And I thought, okay, well, at, you're used to having, I mean, you've been on the ice holding the Stanley <laughs> Cup, which is like the hockey world wow. cup, you know, I wouldn't worry about using the wrong fork, buddy. You know, yeah, you'll be fine. That's really funny. And I th- yeah. 
Everybody has it. They just don't think, oh, I have social anxiety. They just think, oh, I don't know which fork to use. Everyone's going to judge me. Mm-hmm. Well, you've interviewed over like well, you've interviewed like over seven hundred world class performers. Like, what would you say is the most, I guess, common social skills that they share that made them so successful? Um, the most common social skills yeah. that they share, or yeah. yeah, well, man, I mean, they're all really good networkers. That's for okay. sure. Very, very few people, with maybe the exception of certain artsy fartsy types of people, mm-hmm. are they're all really good at making and creating, maintaining relationships. They screen a lot of people out, but they do a good job of it. What, what's strange, a phenomenon that I've noticed that I think is unusual is if you try to get a hold of some hacky internet marketer kind of turd who's got a big YouTube channel, man, it could take you months and months and months and months and months and you're, you're interacting with somebody who can't spell and they're flaky and they're, oh, right. sorry, my calendar didn't work. Oh, my phone was off. You deal with that all the time. Yeah. You deal with somebody like Shaq and it's like business, done, mm-hmm. immediate replies. They show up on time. It's weird, you know? It's kind of like there's a gap where the, there's the layman who's usually on time, excited to be there, ready for action. And then there's this huge gap of just half-ass nobodies that can't get their crap together, (laughs) pretend to be famous. They're focused on their Twitter followers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's another hard line. And then above that seem to be these kind of celebrities, successful folks. And man, they've got it together. And it's not because they're on their email all the time. It's because at some point they've sort of recognized, hey, maybe I should pay someone to do this and get organized and I these opportunities are valuable so maybe I should stop blowing them off because I'm tired that morning or mm-hmm. you know assuming that they're always going to be there and I think that these these high performing celebrities are also or, or non-celebrities just successful folks realize hey you know just because I'm important to this person now doesn't mean they're not going to be important to me later so I've noticed that there's a lot of of well done organization, communication, and things like that at the higher level that I think these mid-level nobodies who act important but are not could stand to, to, could really understand. And so for me, what I've focused on doing through the growth of the art of charm is act as if, right? Act as if, look, even though our show might have been small a few years ago and it's big now, I don't I don't like not answer my email anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I make damn sure that everybody gets taken care of. If someone calls and leaves a message, they get a call back. It might not be for me, but I'm not going to ignore it. And I notice a lot of people at sort of our level of, of uh, impact or, you know, you, you might say the footprint of a show like ours, they'll just say, oh, I don't even have time for email anymore. Yeah. It's just this self-important bull crap. It's bull crap. That, yeah, 100%. That I've noticed, I've noticed that like it just it's designed to make them sound cool. But really, professional organizations, outfits—you, you, you know—you email uh, or or write to somebody who's really, really important. You write to Warren Buffett's team. Yeah. I bet you somebody gets back to you. Right. I bet you they do. Right. Even if it's just, hey, sorry, we're really busy. We can't reply to everything. If this is important, please call the office. You know, I, I guarantee you, there's something, not just dead silence. But man, you try to get up in touch with some. Snapchat YouTube celebrity, good luck with that. Never going to happen. And I've, I've just stopped wanting to deal with those people altogether mm-hmm. because I just find like, gosh, if, if you're like this now, you're never going to get to the level where these other people are because I can tell by your habit, habits that you're just you're full of hot air. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So I want to kind of veer a little bit off to the, I don't even know if it's right or left, but this is definitely going to be a weird question. Um, don't ask why I thought of this now, but have you ever looked at studying Adolf Hitler for social skills? Oh, that's mm. definitely not right or left, man. Yeah, yeah. There's that's serious, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, serious not right or leftness yeah, going on there. Yeah, it's completely out of the park. The reason I ask is is basically... Like, he managed essentially to convince, like, ordinary citizens to murder innocent people en masse. Like, we're talking millions and millions of people. Um, like, you want to talk about persuasion, the art of persuasion, the art of charm, social skills, building a network, getting people to do things for you. I mean, is not Adolf Hitler, the, the, the in a sense, in a dark, very, very dark way, and I'm Jewish, so my grandfather was actually in the Holocaust and all of his family was murdered. So is he not, though, in a sense, the greatest example of somebody who had the power to, in a sense, persuade people to do things that you would think, like, how, how did he do it? Yeah, do, do I you know think so. Like, he's kind of like it's kind of like the Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh dark side persuasion skills, right? You look at yeah. rhetoric and pumping people up emotionally and using fear and things like that and you see people using that throughout history and these are sort of now well-established concepts. Mm-hmm. And it's a bummer because you also see the same thing in to a lesser extent, of, with different results, obviously, when companies are, are telling you, you need to buy this. You know, insurance companies will use things like that to get you to buy. Right. Um, scarcity. I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that you can use persuasion skills for. You can use it to get your kids to eat vegetables, mm-hmm. right? But on the scale of Hitler and vegetable eating, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of in-between. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that you can find. And I think, frankly, like, Look, persuade. It's one of those things like manipulation. Sounds really bad. Yeah. But then you're thinking, okay, well, my aunt is getting really sick because she's smoking. Should I manipulate her into stopping by mm. using fear, persuasion, right. and influence? Well, yeah, probably. Probably you should. Um, and a sculptor manipulates clay. So, like, is that bad? I don't know. But with the way that we use certain words tends to be, well, 80% of the time when we say manipulate, we mean something bad. Mm-hmm. But I think the the danger, or danger is a big word, I think the problem happens when we think, oh, influence and persuasion, oh, that's about manipulation, and that's bad. It's like, well, no. We use influence and persuasion to get kids to pay attention in school if we're teaching properly. Mm-hmm. We use influence and persuasion to make sure that people... Uh, see the value of us when we're trying to get hired. That's not a bad thing unless we plan on screwing over the company. So I think we just have to look at all of these skills on a spectrum instead of saying influence, bad, persuasion, bad. And -hmm. a lot of people do that because the examples that they can think of, and I'm not accusing you of this, but the examples that they readily can think of are like, but Hitler. And it's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Right. You know, sure. Yeah, Hitler. Um, And then you, you look at things like, Hey, look, con artists or whatever. And it's like, well, okay, is fire good or bad? Well, okay, that's a little bit harder to evaluate, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, fire is universally bad. Okay, yeah, it does. Burns down houses. That's terrible. Yeah, forest fires, not a good thing. Nobody likes that. 
well, okay, how about, you know, the idea that we can keep warm, cook food, create machinery, no, uh, but generate can electricity. I just, can no, but can I just say, John, so I'm not using it to almost, I'm not using it to attack. I mean, I'm, ask my wife, I'm one of the oh, most I know. manipulative people. My mother would tell me that all the time growing up. But uh, I'm looking at it as, can we reverse engineer Adolf Hitler, because if one man oh. can, can murder millions of people, then maybe we can reverse engineer that to save millions of people. People committing suicide, people, you know, who are dying of, of, you know, people who are dying in themselves because they can't stand up for themselves, people who don't want to get up on stage, even though they've got some burning you know, story or, or message inside of them. How do we reverse engineer that and apply it? Yeah, I, I mean, that, how do we reverse engineer Hitler? Well, yeah. You can always reverse engineer any persuader by looking at what the elements are that you think are effective and then mm -hmm. just testing them. And so what that means is uh, is essentially, okay, well, why do we think that he was persuasive? Okay, well, we can't really know until we test individual elements of it. So a lot of what we do at The Art of Charm on The Art of Charm podcast at our live programs and things like that is – we, pardon me, I got the hiccups from my coffee, so that's <laughs> going to be great for radio. We can look and we can say, why is he so angry up there? Oh, well, all right, let's try Passion. being angry when in, in impassioned when we talk about something. Oh, okay, well, um, let's try using word choice that's really dynamic and absolute, you know, and, and we see that. I don't know. Well, that's interesting, by the way. The German, Have you watched <clears throat> the, the, the movie The King's Speech? Yes. Right. That's that was insane. That was amazing. Right. And when he got angry, he was able to articulate clearly. He had no starter, and that's when he realized that it was when he was extremely passionate about something that he was able to then go and perform. So maybe that's something we can kind of take out of it. One of the things, right? Yeah, I I, I think so. I mean, there's look the element of passion to get over a speech impediment. Great, cool hack. But I think when we test individual elements of something, we can find like, okay, the concept that people mirror each other's emotions is real, especially if one person's in a position of authority. Oh, making something look grandiose by putting them on a, a in front of a huge parade and up high mm -hmm. so that people have to look up at them to see them. You know, there's all kinds of psychological tricks and things like that that we can definitely reverse engineer. I mean, we see it all the time. If you you can see it in the way that North Korea presents itself that's negative in my opinion hmm. um and you can also see it in the way that people give speeches at the united nations or in congress or something like that which is theoretically or positive you can see it at a tony robbins event if you're into that sort of thing i'm, I'm not really but you right. know you can see that sort of symbolism why, why are you not and, why are you not into tony a uh, tony robbins i, I just think like I I went to one. I'm not saying anything about Tony Robbins himself. Mm -hmm. I just didn't love the concert environment that I was in with 11,000 people. Right. I was much. I was ready to like do do work on myself, and I didn't really want to dance and jump around <laughs> and like massage people next to me and listen to music, you know, for for 12 straight hours. The the, the amount of content and learning could have been stuffed into three hours instead of 12. Right. And I get why that's used. I'm not saying it's useless or anything. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get people interested in self-help and personal growth, you have to do that. But it's not for somebody who's been doing it for 11 years. I don't need that. I You could mm -hmm. throw it in a book. I'll study it. I'll use it. I'll, I'll present it to other people. 
Um, so it wasn't the the it wasn't necessarily the content; it was the delivery that wasn't for me. So I know he has other things that he does. That I've got friends who work there, and they're like, "Oh, I wouldn't have recommended that one to you. I would have said come to this other thing, and it mm-hmm. would have been better for you, just because they know me." Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so for me, I'm just not into that particular type of thing. And the same thing could be said for these. Uh, have you ever seen those like? Herbalife seminars where it's like, come sell our shakes, and then you go to the stadium and there's mm. people waving Herbalife flags and they're yeah. talking about how much money they're going to make. That is, I would, I, in my opinion, that's a negative element of persuasion because what they're doing is they're getting people so pumped up that they're not talking about the re- the reality of the situation, which is like, hey, um, most people don't make money doing this. Mm-hmm. You're probably not in the black. Make it, you know, selling these things. Right. We're trying to get you pumped up emotionally so that you buy tapes and books and more products and you take advantage of, or people take advantage of you being there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, it's it's really just like this weird cult mentality, and that is that is very similar. And again, I'm not trying to compare Herbalife to Adolf Hitler, but I am <laughs> saying that Goodness there are, there's definitely ways there are definitely ways that these things can be used for good. You know, if you want to get your kids excited about something and then feed them broccoli, they're probably going to have a better time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have an easier time doing it. But if you're trying to get people excited so that they buy something that's bad for them, that they can't sell, that's going to cost them money and pain, cause them pain in the long run, I think that's negative. So, yeah, we can definitely reverse engineer these. These concepts themselves are really neutral. It's just the the result, mm-hmm. the intended result is the problem. You know, you yeah. look at con men and one of their sort of chief modus operandi Modus operandus, because singular, I don't know. Uh, is <laughs> sounds smart. Don't worry, George. Keep going. To get, yeah, I know. As long as I sound <laughs> intelligent, it's trying to get people excited about right. whatever it is, so that their critical thinking skills turn off. When we get excited, our critical thinking skills turn off. That's why whenever somebody's trying to get me really pumped, I'm I'm always like, why? You know, oh, we're at a sports game. Okay, cool. I'll get excited. Oh, we're at a rock concert. Cool. I'll get excited. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, there's a sales pitch at the end. That's kind of yes. I think that's shitty. That you're pardon my Latin. That mm-hmm. you're trying to get uh, that that you're trying to get me excited because you're trying to get me excited so that later on when you're like, and you can upgrade for three thousand dollars. Then I'm like, yeah, wait. I can't <laughs> well, I, hold on. But Jordan, let's be honest here, okay? At the end of the day, business is business, and the reason why most people want to find out how to let's not use the word manipulate because there's bad taste to it, but you know, they want to they wanna learn social skills. They want to be able to persuade and inspire. But they don't want to be a charity. They want to they wanna make money, right? They want to, at the end of the day, they want people to take out their credit cards and, and, you know, so that they can go on a vacation and buy a dream house and buy a nice car and take their wife out and whatever it is or their spouse. So ultimately, we're all kind of doing it, right? We're all doing the dance, right? And we're all trying to sell. So, how do you avoid looking like a sleazy used car salesman? And, 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 and here's the thing. I get people reaching out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, or email, and it's the same old drivel. It's like, hey, Daniel, I love your show. Uh, you know, um, da, da, da. And it's like, oh, God. And it's like the small talk. Hey, how you doing? You know? And I kind of feel bad for them because I'm not going to respond because it's just I'm not going to respond because there's just too many of people doing that and I just don't have time to do that but ultimately we're all trying to make it so how do you do it without coming across as a really sleazy slimy sales guy sure a couple of things come to mind one don't sell something you don't believe in 
because you won't be able to sleep at night. So if if you're thinking, all right, well, you know, I want to learn persuasion, so I'm listening to The Art of Charm because I'm in sales or I, I run a small business, that's great. But if your small business is selling broken clocks to people so that they can be on time, <laughs> then you're not going to be able to sleep at night unless you're some kind of sociopath, right? Okay. So d- step one, sell something that you believe in. Like I have no problem hyping up Art of Charm products, program. We spend so much time making them good that I and p- plus I tell people, hey, don't buy anything from me until you listen to the Art of Charm podcast because if that stuff doesn't work for you, you won't like the products, and if it does, you'll love the products. Can I challenge like, well, you on okay. that? Can I sure. challenge you on that? So you brought challenge. up, I will. You you brought up Herbal Life, and you're like, oh, they build up this whole hype and blah blah blah. But the fact of the matter is, ninety percent of the people won't actually get rich because that's just the way the cookie crumbles, right? Tony right. Robbins, same thing. Everyone dances, rubs each other up the right way, the wrong way, whatever it is. <laughs> but only about two percent actually go on to becoming best-selling authors or multi-millionaires or whatever actors, whatever. But let's be honest. How many people listen to The Art of Charm, right? And yet, yeah, lots. And let, let's be honest, how many of them actually make a difference in their lives? How many of them are actually going to go on to be successful, quote unquote, whatever? There's only going to be a small percentage of people that actually apply what you're teaching them and actually go out and do it, right? Right, but it's free. Oh, well, um, yes, but you've got a, obviously a business model. You're not sleeping in a, in a cow shed, right? Jordan, you're doing well. Right. You made money. The show is free though and advertisers pay. So you pay with your attention uh-huh. and then if you apply it, you get a benefit and if you don't apply it, hopefully at the very least you're entertained. But if not, then you've only paid with your own attention. So I'm not taking your money if you don't actually want to do it. And further... If you buy a product and you don't like it, then you get a refund. So there's there's that <laughs> element of it. Whereas with Herbalife, I would challenge you to try to get a refund on some of the <laughs> stuff you've bought from them if you don't make money and see what happens. Right. right. They know that it's not a workable business model, whereas I know that what we're doing and delivering is something that has benefit if people put in the work on their end. And even if they won't put on the, in the work... I will give them their money back if they go, look, I'm just never going to do this. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it sucks, but here's your money. So there's a huge difference in somebody going, look, I know Daniel's never going to do this, but it's not my problem. Screw him. (laughs) There's a difference between that and look, here's a bunch of resources that don't cost anything. If you like them, then you should buy something. But if you don't, then don't worry about it. And then you buy something and you go, look, I'm never going to apply this. And I go, all right, fine. Well, then you're not a good customer, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a huge difference between those two things. And the, the difference is so clear because some their entire business model, Herbalife, for example, is predicated upon other people buying the stuff and them knowing that it won't work for them. And even if they put in the work, it won't work. That it is a mathematically untenable business model and that is predicated on lies. And you're gonna get a ton of email about this because people love their Herbalife like a religion. <laughs> so they're gonna hate they're gonna hate me for this. Um, but it's different than somebody saying so, for example, you could easily say, hey, look, that salad place down the street, a lot of people, they're going to go there, they're going to eat that salad, and then afterwards they're going to go to Burger King. So it doesn't even matter that they sell healthy food. Well, okay, but they're not doing anything wrong by selling that healthy food, right? right. Whereas a company that sells something that is untenable as a business model and is overpriced and has no actual benefit and they make wild claims about the, you know, the product itself in order to get in the way that they sell it is to have you come to a stadium and dance and get excited. That's problematic. Do you see the difference there? Or am I yeah. sort of like, no, no, you, you've made a good point. You've made a good point. So step one is basically 
make sure that you're actually offering something of substance that can really help people. What would be step two then? Sure. So uh, we're talking about like, and look, I know people are going to be like, Herbalife helps people. Here's 10,000 reasons why my business is good and, and Jordan's an a-hole and I, I just don't care. So you can, <laughs> you can enjoy all those. But uh, I, I'm, I'm an outspoken critic of stuff like MLM, so, as you can tell. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've done whole shows about this and I just, I remember the, the email that I got as a result. Can, the, I, just, the can other- I just bring out, I, I need to bring this out because I think it's gold. I've noticed this about you as well, by the way. You really don't care what people think. Like, you genuinely no. don't care. Like, you will stand up and say something. And a lot of people are very vanilla. Like, they, they, they'll be very careful. Like, oh, I don't know if I should say that about Tony Robbins because what if? And I, I don't know if I should talk about, like, that because what if? Like, I'm writing a book right now called The Self-Help Addict. And I'm talking about people buying books like Tony Robbins and going to seminars. I'm literally writing a whole book on it. And part of me at the beginning was thinking, holy crap, I'm going to get a lot of hate from all the self-help yeah. gurus. Absolutely, man. Right? Yeah. But I don't, I don't care because like, I don't know. Like, but there's a lot of people that do care. So how can, like for those listening that they care so much about what people think, how do they get over that? Yeah. Well, I want to back up really quick. Yeah. And uh, negate your compliment really quick. No, but uh, oh, okay, go I, I don't have a problem with like Tony Robbins doing his thing. I, I don't. I think a lot of people who go to those events are like, oh my God, that was amazing. And yes. I'm like, hey, good. If that got you off your butt and now you're exercising <laughs> and you started a side hustle because you're stoked from that and you got some tips from the speakers there, that's great. I, I think that's good. For me, I didn't like that particular event because mm-hmm. I just thought it was like, too basic for me. It was a beginner level thing. And my friend Noah Kagan, who went with, who's the CEO of AppSumo, he went with me and he wrote this article like, hey, this is why me and Jordan Harbinger walked out of this Tony Robbins event. And it wasn't like, F Tony Robbins, I hate that guy. It was just like, hey, look, this isn't for us at this particular point in our lives. Maybe we're at the wrong event. And like I said, my friend who works for Tony Robbins directly and runs a large part of his operations. She heard I went there and left and she was like, ah, man, I would have told you not to go to that one because for you, I think there's a billion other things that we offer that would have been better for you. Let me know. I'll hook you up with something else. Mm -hmm. And, and that that's one, that's how you do it. That's how you run a business, right? If something isn't for your customer, don't keep their money, especially if it costs you eight cents to have them come through, just fricking give them their money back. Yeah. You know, um, but it, it's different if it costs you something. But the the other the other uh, idea here was that look okay, and I'll answer your earlier question. Sell something that that allows you to sleep at night, something that you believe in, not something where you have to do emotional and mental gymnastics to go. Well, you know, it is good because <laughs> they should learn a lesson about trusting people, and mm-hmm. so I'm teaching them that by selling them a car that's going to break down in three minutes and having no refund policy. Like that's right. not. That's not good, right? So anything where you can reliably, it's in alignment with your values and something that you also are excited about. You mm-hmm. should be excited about your clients going to that event or or your clients getting that thing done. Not excited about the benefit you get from your clients paying you. You should be excited about the, the changes they're going to make in their lives or whatever, for example, or the amount they're going to laugh at the movie that you recommended or sold to them or the, it's it, basically think of it as you're giving them a gift and you have to look at it that way. Would would this be something you would recommend for them if you were not getting paid to do it? And they, if the answer is no, then you're in the wrong business. Mm-hmm. Because 
if you're telling people that they would really love something and then you're just thinking, man, and I'm going to go on such a nice vacation with your tuition money, then you are probably <laughs> not sick. recommending something based on, on what you believe. You're probably based, you're, you're looking at your own benefit and that's not, that's not how you should do this. Got it. But can we does go back to that? It does. I want to go back to that question though about not caring what people think because I feel like... Crap, I forgot that, that yeah. already. That's why I answered the other one because I was like, yeah. I forgot what he had asked me right. before. So yeah, go ahead and repeat that and I'll, I'll answer it. Well, it's just that you have no issues with saying something that you believe in even though you're going to get backlash and a lot of yeah, people, right? That's true. I, look, I went to law school. I am technically an attorney. I'm non-practicing. I mean, I was probably just like the worst lawyer ever. Because I would, you know, I would, I would, uh, I, I cared about people and I liked helping people. But man, I'll tell you, they're like, hey, did you file that brief? And I'm like, um, I'll be right back. You know, like <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing. Um, so it just wasn't, it wasn't really for me on that one. Uh, but I, I do, I do feel like standing up for the values are, is important. I like thinking about something critically and going, wait a minute, what people are saying is just, this is BS. What are you talking about? You know, I like looking at conventional wisdom and, and having people say, like, just follow your passion. And I'm like, oh, cool. Wait a minute. No, terrible idea. Why are you saying that? That's stupid. Right. Right. And I think that the part of the reason, and this might sound sort of grandiose, but I'll, I'll be honest here, I didn't care that much about that particular facet of my personality for a really, really long time because it didn't really matter. You know, being contrarian, it just seemed being like being difficult. But now that we have a platform that has 3.8 million people listening to it each month, mm -hmm. I just really, I, again, I couldn't sleep at night going, I'm echoing bullcrap to people <laughs> because it's right. easy and I don't want to think critically. So sure, come on here and tell me that your magic milkshake is going to cure my pancreatic cancer. What do <laughs> I care? You're paying me. I just couldn't do that. So I need to I need to talk about these things because one, I have a certain amount of experience in business that I think is worth is of value to people starting their own business and I've also got a certain amount of experience in life and at looking at things critically. I have training from one of the best schools in the country on how to think critically and poke holes in arguments. So if I don't use that and I just go, oh, cool, yeah, so if I stand up straight a lot, then I'm going to be more attractive. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I just think that you know, that, that's like not useful to the people that are paying me with their attention. And if there's 3.8 million hours of of attention given to people mm -hmm. each month, I just feel like it's the height of arrogance to be like, I'm going to waste it by mailing it in today. Okay, so Jordan, you know, I get it. I get it, it why I get it. Why right now you can have the balls to do that because you're the dude, right? You're the guy who runs the Art of Charm. It's the top rated podcast show on iTunes. I get it. But you were once upon a time a little boy who was shy and introvert. You wouldn't get up and speak your piece. So what changed? Like what was where? At what point were you able to stand up and basically be the outspoken Jordan that you are today? That's a really good question. Um, looking back, twenty twenty hindsight, and this is a good way to wrap it, right? Twenty twenty hindsight. I think it slowly came over time. And I realized that if you don't stand up for yourself, no one else will. But more importantly, if you don't stand up for other people, then it becomes okay for other people to get pushed around. And after a certain amount of watching that happen in politics, in business, at school and at work, you just eventually you get sick of it. 
And for me, I think my values solidified quite a bit when I'd be hanging around with other entrepreneurs and they'd be like, oh, you're, my, these customers are so dumb, they'll buy anything. And I was like, I, I hate being around you. I don't like right. dealing with you in that way. Yeah. And then dealing with other entrepreneurs that were really cared about their clients, I was like, oh, I, I like that way better. Or um, just trying to do the best for people and watching as their results got better. I thought, wow, who wouldn't want to then make this the best they could for the people that they deal with. And so for me, it just became a, a point of pride to deliver something great. And then something that's worth talking about is good for the pocketbook too. So if you have a really good podcast, which I'd like to think a lot of people would say that we do, then mm -hmm. they'll talk about it and they'll share it. And then that gets even more attention, which breeds even more, uh, advertising uh, and the ability to sell the product if you're going to talk about it like that. But also it gives you more influence and the influence is great because that allows you to make really sort of a mark on the rest of the world because you're able to say, oh, okay, well, when I talk, people listen and that's kind of a high honor. And and you know what? You, frankly, if you, if you when you talk, people listen and you use it to, to just serve yourself or to do something that is lame, like sell them something that you know doesn't work, but that's gonna pay you a high commission, you're just being a dick. And mm -hmm. so like, it's not that hard to not be a jerk. It really isn't. You just have to pay attention to the impact you're having on other people and then make the, ch the right choices. Sometimes the choices are hard because you get $10 for the bad choice and $1 for the good one. But long-term, people are smart enough to know if you freaking screw them over, by recommending something like if you have a sponsor on your show that's like hey i gamble using this website well <laughs> all right you're a moron and you're just telling people to lose their money so mm -hmm. i won't do ads like that right i'll only do ads for things that i like and so surprise surprise the ads on art of charm convert better than they do on almost any other show and i've seen internal documents from advertising agencies that say there's 20 shows that convert well and we're on that list because people trust what i say because I, they know i'm not going to say something that's like well, I hate this company, but they offered me 20 grand because I don't care about that as much as I care about having people trust me for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it's about long-term thinking. It really, it's about long-term thinking, which frankly is just not that hard to get through your head once you start zooming out on the timeline far enough. If you're trying to talk about quick wins, you know, then fine. But for me, I've been doing this long enough where I know I want to keep doing it. And you're not going to have the chance to keep doing it. I'm not going to have the chance to keep doing it if I continually shortchange people by taking advantage of them. So <laughs> it, it's really not that hard of a calculation. It's yeah. only hard if you think, well, I really want a new car and I can get one tomorrow if I lie to people. But it's right. just, it's stupid. It's stupid. People who think like that don't last long. I mean, right. you've, I don't know how long you've been in the online world of uh, looking at the entrepreneurship stuff, but man, you could, if you really looked back in your email history, you'd see tons of people who nobody gives a crap about anymore because they basically Correct. sold out and that was the end. Yeah, yeah, 100%. By the way, when you said uh, it's a good way to wrap up, were you talking about the question or the show? The show, because we're way over the we're, time slot we're, now. We're, we are, we're over. Um, but we've had a good time talking about uh, peeing and, and Adolf Hitler. I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying Agreed. to figure out what the best title for this show is. It's either what we can learn from Adolf Hitler or um, how, to, how to take a pee while, while giving a, a talk or something, like something really um, attention-grabbing. 
Um, but yeah, we'll, I mean, I'll we'll leave f- the marketing up to your your team. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure one out. So, okay, well, just before we go, I just want to ask you one thing. Um, if there was one social skill that you'd recommend our listeners to work on right now, like what would it be? What's the most important one that that kind of stands out to you? So, I, real quick, I would say, yeah. like a practical exercise that we could give the audience is. People judge you based on the way that you look right away. And if you don't believe me, go walk outside, go to the mall, and you'll see people and you'll be like, oh, attractive, short, big, threatening, yeah. you know, funny, yeah. stuff like that. You just, your brain is evolved to make these judgments. So <laughs> we know that people are doing that to us. So the problem is we work on computers all day, most of us. And so our the snap judgment people are making of us is probably not confident, friendly, outgoing. It's probably like, oh, okay, this person looks busy, harried, stressed out, whatever, who knows. Mm-hmm. So if you, this is called the doorway drill. And if you stand up straight right now, unless you're driving, if you stand up straight, <laughs> chin up, chest back or chest up sorry shoulders back you know so chin up shoulders back chest up you don't have to exaggerate it's not like superman style you'll look like an idiot if you do that but (laughs) just straighten up and and put a smile on your face now this position is the position you want to reset yourself to every time you walk through a doorway and the way that you remember to do that uh, is you take grab uh, some post-it notes you know those ones that are always on clearance because they're like hot pink and they're tiny (laughs) Take those, put those at eye level in the doorframe of your office, your bedroom, the bathroom, the, the doors you walk through the most each day. And the reason you do that is because then you'll see that when you walk through the door and you'll go, why is there a post-it? Oh, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Stand up straight, shoulders uh, up, ch- chest up, shoulders back, chin up, right? Mm-hmm. Smile on your face. And you'll see that sort of upright, open, positive, friendly position. You'll assume that every time you walk through the doorway. Well, that that, over time, over weeks, months, whatever, builds the habit of doing that every time you walk through a doorway, which coincidentally is something you walk through every time you enter most rooms. And that's when most people notice you. And so that becomes then the differentiating factor in what most people see from your nonverbal communication. And that nonverbal communication then informs the way that people treat you and the way that you're treated it informs the way that you behave. So yeah. over a short period of time, a few months, you will have people treating you differently. You'll be acting differently, which is more confident, open, positive, friendly because of your nonverbal first impression. And that is a really, really quick way to see really good results from something that we call the doorway drill. And there's a billion things like that. But I would say just work on that. If you implement that, you will see absolutely you will see results. Uh, And it's great. It's great to find that you're able to change your own core level personality based on something like throwing a post-it note up and standing up straight in remembering to do that consistently because Mm -hmm. that's the problem. A lot of people go, stand up straight, this is stupid, so basic. They're not implementing any of this stuff. They think they are. But they're not. And in, in fact, during our live programs, we film people and they're always like, yeah, I walked up and I smiled and I did it. And then we play the tape and it's like, nope, looks like you got to poop. That's what <laughs> it looks like. Every time you're talking to people, it just looks like you got your pants full already, you know. And so they're like, oh, my God, so, I look like that. And you oh, can see God. that. You Did can you see to, that you had to end with that. You had to end with that. We, start, with we started. Well, we started with with peeing, and then you ended with defecating. Well, thank you very much, Jordan. What's the best way my listeners could get in touch with you? Uh, I would say that uh, you know, you look, you're already listening to a podcast. Mm-hmm. I would love it if people listen to the Art of Charm podcast. It's available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Mm. And uh, I'll, for the record, you brought up peeing first. Just saying. And <laughs> okay. I'm also on Twitter at the Art of Charm, and you know at theartofcharm.com. 
Jordan, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. All right.